Michael, can you hear me? Hello. All right, there you are now. You can hear me? Cool. Hey. Right, put this on again. Yeah, I had to read. Um, you'll be getting your Facebook feed started shortly. Yeah, we'll start here in a second. I had to reset the uh, sound there for whatever reason. My mic wasn't being picked up, but it is now. It should be good. All right. And we'll be looking for Facebook here What's up, shortly. Sean? Yep. Sean, I'm gonna start here. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm just getting everything set up.
What's up, horse race? Just getting stuff ready. I'm about to be in the show. Just give me about a minute or two here. And Eric, I just shared the show on Twitter, but if you want to share it out too, that'd be great. I think I got a real good topic for today. What's up, Linga? What time is it there? It's got to be around what? Let me guess. Uh, 12? Noon? 1 o'clock? Maybe a little earlier? 11? I don't know where you're at in Australia, but... 9.40? Oh, wow. So you're... You'd be in Western Australia then, right? Am I right about that? Alright. What's up, Bella? I see that. Yep, awesome. So, I'll uh, hopefully Mark at about six. Yeah, at about six forty-six, I'm gonna start. If you guys wouldn't mind sharing the show too, that'd be awesome. Oh, East Coast. So, are you? How far are you from Brit? Brit's my girlfriend, by the way. Uh, she's in Grafton. How far are you from Grafton? You can't be too far then. Well, I guess you could be far. Oh, you were in Grafton a week ago. Oh, great. So you're not. So you're in that area. Coffs Harbor. Is that a good guess? Floods. Yeah, the floods were bad. He said, sure. <laughs> Alright, so I'll start kind of talking. But so uh Linga, I I'm supposed to go over there. I don't have an official date yet, but it's going to be probably in the next couple months here. Uh, we're getting some visa stuff worked out, but I'll probably just go over there on a, a regular travel visa for the moment. Uh, and I think we're going to start talking to an attorney over there and try and get some things worked out. You know, so we'll see. Uh, 
got some work to do here still in the u.s and uh hopefully it is soon but yeah it does suck you know she, thankfully i was able to see her australia lifted the travel bans just in time for christmas so i was able to see her over christmas she was here which was nice uh he said just marry her and stay here you know we'll we'll see what happens right i will say this recently with the whole vaccine and covid deal australia got some bad publicity with how they handled it and i uh you know i don't know anything much about australia's politics but i don't really care for scott morrison very much i don't again i don't know he could be conservative like i am i don't know but just the way you know and how much of it falls on him i don't know but he's the prime minister so i blame him right uh as far as those travel restrictions goes <laughs> but yeah as far as the australia's travel restrictions went i thought they really overdid it i think they made it a lot worse and and caused a lot more worry than really what needed to be done i australia had covid right they ended up getting hit with it, it they didn't avoid it as much as they tried to i think they may have delayed it a little bit because it took a while to get down there but it was inevitable and you didn't i don't think they had to do what they did and may currently still be doing i'm not sure but uh you know other than that people got to realize australia is an absolutely beautiful place when you go there and it's probably the closest thing uh culturally to the united states i've been to a few other countries i've been to canada i've been to mexico i've been to the bahamas right um and Australia culturally is probably the closest thing to the U.S. The biggest difference I've seen is that it's a lot slower pace of life. When I was in Grafton, Australia, you know, and you go to small towns here in the U.S. like Brundage, Alabama, where we have property, my family has property, which is a very, very small town in South Alabama. They... um it's kind of the same setup except those small businesses that are closed down in these small communities here in the United States. Like if you go through an old Southern town here, a lot of those, you know, businesses on their little, you know, around town squares and stuff, a lot of times can be shut down. Um, in Grafton, they flourish. And in Australia, they flourish. You don't see, I see a lot of people driving older model cars in Australia. They will have new cars. There's, I'm not denying that, but you don't. I feel like they're not as um. What's the word I'm thinking of? They're not as uh, materialistic. You know, we. Uh, he said we got go globalized during the pandemic. Yeah, which is a shame because that's something that Australia. I think. What Australia does a great job of, at, at least you, it may have changed since I've been there, but. The people focused on buying Australian for the most part, unless it was something that just didn't come from Australia, right? It was really expensive to buy an American good when I was in Australia. Let's say I went to buy toothpaste or just something at the store, just some small thing. And I'm actually going into this conversation because this is what I'm going to actually kind of talk about today. But, and I haven't started the Facebook Live yet, but I will. But products from like a, the United States and stuff were far more expensive than Australian goods when I was in Australia. Here in the United States, you don't see that as much. You don't see that big of a difference. Um, 
but yeah, they're not as materialistic. You see a lot of people driving just older model cars or whatever car, right? They don't really focus on what kind of car you have. They just make sure it gets you where they need to go. You do see a lot of that. And I think Australians are a lot more laid back about life in general. They're kind of just a, eh, no worries, you know, kind of culture we're here in the United States. The South is has that a little bit in them, but for the most part, it's a it's a it's a rush. It's a um, you know, I gotta get to work, I gotta get things done. The pace of life is just far more faster here in the United States. And when you do go to Australia, you do get that sense, and it is kind of a relief almost when you're there because it, you know, it's just eh, whatever kind of deal. Um and he said the northern part of New South Wales is pretty relaxed. Yeah, it is. And I will say the biggest, the first thing I noticed when I got to Australia, so I flew, the first time I went, I flew into Brisbane. And from Brisbane, we took a train to the Gold Coast. It's like an hour and a half train ride or two hour train ride. Um, When you go to the Gold Coast, there are no fat people. Not saying that Australia doesn't have fat people. But it is not like the United States. You go to the United States and, you know, you'll see more people overweight and out of shape than you will see people that are in shape. In Australia, especially in the Gold Coast, everyone walks everywhere. Everyone has a bike they're taking everywhere. Everyone's surfing. Everyone's active. Um, you know, they have good weather. Yes, Linga, exactly. Um, but there were no fat people in the Gold Coast. And there weren't a lot of fat people in Grafton. There weren't a lot of fat people anywhere. You know, every weekend, people are going camping. People are out, hanging out with each other. They're a lot more social, I think. Even though we have that here, it's just not on the scale that they have there. Uh, you know, we have social drinkers here. But everyone's a social drinker in Australia. You know... Warmer the weather, warmer the people. Yeah, I'd say that except, you know, Linga, I grew up here in Florida, in southwest Florida, and it's not always like that. But then again, you have a different kind of person. You have people that go down to Florida that move there to kind of do their own thing and get away from people. They're social, but it's not the same. It's, it's, uh, you know, the only thing that got me in Australia is there's a few differences that once you're there and you have to kind of be an American to see this, or at least have lived in the United States for a while to understand this. You start to realize after two weeks, three weeks of being there that there are some freedoms we enjoy here in the United States that you don't have in Australia. And they're little things. They're little things. They're like, did you know that Australian police officers can set up drug testing checkpoints? <sighs> and we had the DUI checkpoints here every once in a while, and there's a lot of um, scrutiny on whether or not those are legal. But in Australia, you know, they'll, they can stop and just drug test you. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, what if you're not high right then and there when you're driving? You did it like the night before. You're going to fail. Uh, the other thing is they have speed cameras. Now here we have the stoplight cameras. You may every once in a while at a red light where they have a camera and they're taking pictures. 
But in Naples, they actually had him on every light. And someone fought that, and they had to take them all down because there was either unconstitutional. I don't remember what the reason was. But in Australia, they have speed cameras. And they'll send you a damn ticket for speeding anywhere. Um, and so it's little things like that. He says, like Linga says, yeah, it's over police. It, it's little things like that that kind of give you a sense of it's it's laid back, it's free, but it's just not quite there. And there's a few other restrictions like you can't do. Uh, really, they hide them in trash cans. I didn't know that. You know, I will say Brisbane is probably one of the cleanest cities I've ever been to. Australia is a very, very, very clean country. You don't see a lot of trash. Um, and then, you know, me being a capitalist that I am when, uh, cause we used to have this in the United States, but you don't see it anymore. In Australia, you go pick up bottles and you turn them in, you get money for them. So I was picking up any freaking bottle I could find and turning that in, trying to get a little, you know, a little bit of change for it. It's funny, but they do have good incentives for, for cleaning things up like that. And I think that we should still have that here. Um, but for the most part, it, it's very similar. Uh, you know, I wasn't there during COVID and the whole lockdown thing, so I can't really speak on that. But with that said, I want to go into, and I'm going to start this Facebook Live, and I'm going to go into, um, here, wait for the startup here. And we're good. And Eric, I don't know if you want to check that sound for me, but I want to talk about inflation in the, go ahead. All right, I'm, I was thinking you'd probably give a three, two, one countdown pretty started it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just, I just said the, it was already and everything, but I want to talk about inflation and the impact of inflation on your personal finances, because a lot of people think that inflation is just a number that they're showing you that the consumer price index calculates. And then I want to also talk about a little bit, you know, what causes inflation and why it's such a chain reaction into your pocketbook from businesses. So uh, he said, are you talking, am I qualified to talk about money? Well, if you want to know my qualifications, I have my, um, I have three different investment licenses, uh, series seven, series 65, series six, SIE exam, which that's whatever. And then the series 63, which allows me to do business in States. And also, uh, so I work in personal finance lingo and financial planning. And I also work uh, with businesses too, in their finances. So he said, okay, okay. I just want to know if I can believe it. Um, so there's a few different types of inflation. I'm going to look them up because I'm not, I don't want to, Oh, whoops. Uh, talk about like, you know, off the top of my head here, but, you have, let's see. So you have what's called cost push inflation. You have demand pool inflation and you have, um, there's another one there and demand pool. And let's see if it has it here. I guess it's not. So you, we'll just say cost push and demand pool, right? So cost push inflation occurs when price increases due to the increases in uh, production costs, such as raw materials and wages. Then you have demand pull inflation, which is caused by strong consumer demand for a product or service. Uh, when there's a surge in demand, that means that people are buying more 
and it's lowering the supply of the good. What it looks like they don't have here is they're talking about you have to take into consideration the supply of money, which is what's actually causing, for the most part, the inflation we're experiencing here in the United States. The supply of money can increase in many different ways, but what we're experiencing is extremely low interest rates. Interest rates were already low leading into the COVID pandemic, and they were even lower because of the pandemic. They've been low for a long time, but they've been extremely low near zero since uh, 2020. On top of that, we had three COVID stimulus packages. All three of them, I believe it's, yeah, three, uh, not only were, you know, two of them, I believe, over a trillion dollars, but they were handing out stimulus checks at that, plus all the PPP loans, all the unemployment benefits, all that stuff. And they pumped money into the economy, physical money to everyday people, to businesses, everything. When interest rates are low, the reason why that puts more money into circulation is because it makes the cost of borrowing less. When the cost of borrowing is less, that means banks have, uh, and they were getting more money basically to the banks. Banks were able to lend out a lot more money to regular people, and people are more willing to borrow because they don't have to pay a higher interest rate on the principal that they're borrowing. That's why you see the housing market just take off the way it did, and prices were doubling in some places for housing. Um, the reason being is, well, I can go and pay you know, $250,000, let's just say, for a house with a 4% rate, or I can pay $300,000 for a house with a 2% rate. And borrowing doesn't just end, though, on the housing market. It goes into buying a car. It goes to uh, borrowing for businesses. Anything you go to take a loan out on, credit, credit cards, all that stuff kind of plays into it uh, when it comes to the cost of borrowing, and people are going to be willing to use more of that borrowed money. So you have that, but then you also have the increase in demand part because when people have more money in their pocket, they're spending more money. All this plays in and causes the inflation. When we start talking about gas prices, so, okay, let me go back. The consumer price index does not consider gas and food prices because when, and I looked up why, and it says because gas and food are too volatile. They move up and down too much. So when you see that 7.9%, I believe it was, that is the inflation rate uh, year over year that we're dealing with right now, that's not taking into consideration the actual two expenses that are rising more than anything. And I have an example. So I'm using UPS and I'm just using UPS because it was very easy to find out what their fuel expense was. We know that UPS delivers packages and they use trucks and ships and, or, and uh, planes, right? In 2019, by the way, nearly all cargo ships around the world use diesel fuel. All the semis that we see carrying our food, carrying our um, whatever good it is that is transporting and distributing it to the businesses that we buy them from, 
use diesel fuel. In 2019, per the uh, Energy Information Association website, this again, government website where I get this, uh, these numbers from, the end of 2019, they had the cost of uh, diesel, the national average cost per di- uh, of diesel is $3.05 a gallon in the United States in 2019. In 2019, UPS's fuel expense was $3.4 billion. Sorry, that was in 2018. In 2018, the diesel expense was uh, $3.30 a gallon. So it was a little bit higher. My bad. So 2018, diesel expense was $3.30 a gallon. And uh, UPS's fuel expense was $3.4 billion. Currently, in 2022, as it stands, the average cost of diesel fuel is five dollars and uh, twenty or five dollars and ten cents a gallon. So it's almost doubled when you think about it. It's like sixty percent increase, seventy percent increase. So if you divide the three dollars and thirty cents a gallon by three point four billion. Uh, of expense that UPS had in 2018, that gives you about 1.03 billion gallons of diesel fuel that they consumed for that year. Let's say demand was the same for UPS and they consumed the same amount of fuel. That that expense would rise to $5.26 billion from $3.4 billion. So you can see why they would need to increase the cost of shipping to maintain profit margins. In 2018, UPS's net income was $4.79 billion, which means that that just the increase in fuel prices alone in 2022 would would have cut that uh, margin by roughly 50%. So for UPS to maintain their their same margins, they have to increase the cost of their services. Because not only is diesel fuel now increasing, but wages have to increase because you're going to have employees that can't work um, and can't live off of the salary that they were being paid in 2018 because it takes money to get to work by the cost of gas. Food increases. Why does food increase? Because the cost of shipping increases. So imagine, like I said, all cargo, nearly all cargo ships around the world use diesel. And if the American average went from $3.3 a gallon to $5.1 a gallon, then it costs a, a lot more money to ship products to the U.S. from the U.S. It costs a lot uh, more to ship products around the U.S., and a lot of these products are food. It also, tractors use diesel to grow the food. That means that farmers, with their tr- with the cost of diesel fuel for farming, has about a 60 or 70% increase. Farmers are already running tight margins for the most part. Which means they have to then increase how much they're selling stuff for. All of this, cost of production cost of distribution, 
right? Wages, all of that stuff plays into inflation. That is why when you hear our government talk about we need to tax these businesses, you know, we need to raise in, uh, you know, income taxes on our businesses, and they act like there's no adverse effect to doing that. No, there is an adverse effect, and it's going to fall back on the employees or the consumer. If you increase taxes on a business, then they're paying more, right? But they're bringing in the same amount, which means they have to bring in more to pay more in taxes because they increase the percentage that's being paid. It's a big chain reaction. And when it hits the gas market or the, you know, the oil industry, it magnifies that reaction because we use oil for everything. So, Lingan, how do they stop the cycle? Well, right now with oil, there's so many different factors that are causing fuel prices to increase, right? When fuel prices increase, everything else is going to increase. But as far as combating inflation overall, how they do it is they raise interest rates. That's the first thing they do. That's usually how they get it under control. Uh, here in the United States, uh, I believe Australia would be the same way because you have a central bank as well. And yeah, not to mention OPEC either. And I'm not getting into the whole thing. I'm just, you know, bringing a concept to life for people so they can understand this. Um, when they raise interest rates to make the cost of borrowing more expensive, it also then, uh, you know, less people tend to buy houses or cars, right? Or if they do, it, they have to pay a little more in interest and not principal. So there's different things. So what's that mean? If you increase the cost of borrowing, um, then it's somewhat taking money out of supply. It also means that uh, your savings accounts rates, the rates for treasury bonds and uh, government securities, the saving, you know, go up, which means people are putting money into that. And they're pulling money out of the stock market. So when the money comes out of the stock market, the equity markets, or they, and they're going into the government securities, then it's basically, it's taking money out of supply. Even though you still have that money because you saved it, right? It's yours, you're earning interest on that money. It's still taking it out of um, circulation. And as the economy stands, that helps combat inflation. So I want people to think about this. If you have money in a savings account, that money's not being spent. It's just sitting there. It's it's not. It's basically useless unless it's to you, right? You're earning some interest, but it's not being spent, which means that it's not circulated. It's you know, it's not a part of that cycle. Uh, and I'll I'll hit on that here in a second, Ralph. But the same thing when you put it into an investment like the stock market, that money can actually still be in circulation because those companies can actually offer shares. They can basically take the money that they're that investors are putting into their stock. And utilize it for different things. Um, so fun guy said, yeah, the bank invested. He's right. But a lot of times the bank is uh, investing again, taking that money, and they may be buying uh, treasuries and stuff because that's how the bank's able to offer a lot of those interest rates too. Or, that you know, in bonds or debt securities and stuff, safer, uh, more passive investments. So 
No, your IRA is not a waste. Absolutely not. I'm just telling you. And look, when they raise, when the uh, Fed raises interest rates, it, this is all short term for the most part, the effect that it would have on the, the uh, equity markets. The reason why it has an effect on the equity markets is because a lot of these big investors, banks, hedge funds, all the, the mutual funds, all that stuff, when they're going to make equity investments into the marketplace, they always usually, or they usually, will weigh the expected return in certain investments uh, to what's called the risk-free rate. The risk-free rate is pretty much uh, whatever government, you know, whatever treasury security, like you have your treasury bills, which are your real short-term securities. You're, you have your treasury notes, which are medium-term term, sorry, uh, securities. And then you have your treasury bonds, which are your longer terms. So... Let's say the you were going to make a um, I don't know a five year investment in the equity market, and you're going to compare it to the risk free rate. You would compare it to whatever the current rate of a treasury security for the same length of time is. It'd be a treasury note for a five year treasury note. You'd say, well, what can I get in interest on that? Because it's basically risk free. You know, it's backed by the faith and credit of the United States. Uh, as opposed to what the risk is, putting it into, let's say, Apple stock. And you have to weigh the the um, difference there. If you're getting next to 0% on a treasury security, then you're going to be willing to invest it in uh, the stock market where, yeah, you have a chance to lose money, but you also have a chance to make a lot of money too. That's why when interest rates are extremely low, you're not making a lot of money in the treasury. So you're just going to go assume the risk in the equity markets and more people are pumping money into the equity markets, which then helps increase you know, those investments. When you can make more on the risk-free side and treasury securities and debt securities, then people will take money out of the equity markets and put it into the, the more safer investments. Because my brain is exploding. I hope I'm not going, I hope I'm making this clear for people too. And let me know if I'm not. Um, Wolverine says, I just robbed banks like they robbed me. So that's kind of how they combat inflation though. Speak slowly. Okay. Um, as far as how it plays on, you know, personal finances though. With inflation, going back to the inflation stuff. These prices increase when gas increases, when food increases. You may be seeing the 7.9% CPI and you're, people are like, oh, inflation's at 7.9%. When in reality, it's much higher. Everyone's different, right? I spend, my largest expense, because I drive a lot, is fuel. You know, before uh, the COVID pandemic like back in 2019 i was spending like 200 a week on gas just because of how much i was driving whereas the average person may have only been spending 50 dollars a week one tank where i was filling up two or three times um therefore my personal inflation rate is much higher than 7.9 percent now someone asks so why aren't wages going up wages that's kind of based on the business, right? It, that is business to business. 
no matter what, we have a minimum wage. It depends on what state you're in. Depend, you know, is what dictates the uh, wages. But a lot of what's up, Sly? A lot of businesses did increase wages. Some may not have. The reason why you can't leave wages up to a federal mandate, like where the government can just say, "Oh, you have to increase wages to fifteen dollars," you know, per hour is because not all businesses can afford that. Like Wolverine here says he got a $3 an hour increase. That's good, but he may work for a company that had, you know, the money to do that. Maybe they're making more money now, and so it was feasible. But not everyone, not everyone's business can do that. He's at a billion-dollar company. Well, there you go. Um, some of these smaller mom-and-pop shops, shops can't just go and increase wages to $15 an hour. Uh, he said, but it doesn't match inflation. It won't always match inflation. And inflation is also different everywhere. You know, like Jesser says, he couldn't do that. And they own a restaurant, right? It's so different company to company, especially if you're starting out. Let's say you're a new business. And you finally got to the point where you could employ someone, you know, one or two people. Well, you still, as the owner, may be struggling trying to get that business up and going and putting all that money back into it. You're paying two employees. You know, you're paying them, let's say still already above minimum wage. So you're paying them $10, $15 an hour. I don't know. Even though the price of everything's going up and you may be making more money, it's still costing you a lot more money to operate that business, not even counting how much more you may have to increase wages for people. So you may not have the ability to do so. Um, he said, is there government help to business for inflation? I don't think so, <laughs> Ralph. Some of this stuff I got to be careful talking about too as far as, you know, giving people advice on where to go to get help because if my industry sees this, they're going to say I'm making recommendations. Anything I talk about is not a recommendation. I'm just explaining to you how some of this works. Um, I'm not sure about government help for inflation. I don't think so. The, the government help you would get for inflation is the Fed increasing interest rates at some point, which they're starting to do. So I just wanted to go into this to explain to people that it's not just that 7.9% that's being reported that inflation is. PPE, PPE's gone. PPE, I believe you meant PPP, like the um, the stuff they were doing for the COVID relief. Yeah, no, I don't think you can get that anymore. You might, and you could go check, but I don't know if that's still available. That wasn't to help with inflation, though. That was to help with uh, lost revenue due to the lockdowns and COVID. You know, the reason I also brought this up is because I saw a tweet from Kamala Harris today. And the tweet said, let me find it. I believe this is it. Nope. The, oh, here it is. The tweet says, no one making less than $400,000 a year will pay an additional penny in taxes under our budget. It's time the wealthy corporations finally paid their fair share. I, 
it's really inconceivable that we have people that are so ignorant financially running our government. You're paying a lot more in taxes. Here's the thing. Tax rates didn't change. The price of everything you're buying has risen. The Let's say you're in a business where you didn't get a wage increase. So you're making the same amount of money. You're paying more for everything. And the government still taxes you based off your income. So they're taking the same amount from you. Which means that you are left with less of your income now. So if you did get a wage increase, you are going to pay more in taxes. And you're still uh, paying more for all the goods and services. Let's say, like someone said, they got a $3 an hour wage increase. That means you're going to pay more in taxes. Because you're making more. But everything is also costing you more. But the federal income taxes, as far as, especially if you're a W-2 employee, you're not able to just itemize that stuff all the time. You can try, but unless it, it's more than that, you know, 12500 ish range or $25,000 a year if you're married, that for the standard deduction, unless you're itemizing more expenses than that on your federal income taxes, you're not, um, you know, you're not just deducting those expenses. So you're left with more. So they're already wrong on that. You know, as far as the other tax you're going to pay more on is sales tax. You pay substantially more in sales taxes if you're paying more for goods. In Tennessee, we have a 10% sales tax. Which means if I bought something for $10, I'm going to pay $11 total at the store because of that $1 sales tax. Let's say that good increased to $15. Now I'm going to pay $1.50 in sales taxes. You know, so I'm actually paying 50 pennies more than what um, Kamala Harris said I would. <laughs> Based off of that right there, it's a simple thing. Uh, you know, Ralph Williams asked uh, a couple questions here. He said, I wonder if we're Adapting to the Sweden tax model. I don't know what the Sweden tax model is, so I can't go into that. Uh, he also asked, he said, what about those getting Social Security? So Social Security, I believe, adjust. I don't know if it actually adjusts for inflation, but it's usually similar to it. Uh, so they do adjust those benefits. But for anyone to say that, you know, we're you're not going to pay a penny more in taxes based off of our build back better deal or whatever plan they pass you know they're only going to increase it on the rich well i just said if you increase expenses on the businesses you increase expenses on everybody um i think raccoon's talking about the social security um you know and if you even if you leave taxes the same because they're not lowering tax rates on anyone if you leave taxes the same, but inflation's running wild, you're paying a lot more in taxes. It's, it's not benefiting anybody. So I just, you know, people need to realize that it just, when you, 
there's always a chain reaction to this, especially when it comes to economics. It's not just a, we're focusing, you know, taking money on this person and it's not going to have a fallout to anything else. No, it, it does not work like that. Um, and, you know, like Lena said, you know, it's sad that I have to explain this. I, I wouldn't say it's sad you have to explain it because a lot of people aren't taught this stuff. A lot of people don't know. They just, you know, they're, again, trying to just make ends meet for the most part. But everyone's paying more in taxes. Everyone is. Because there's not one person that hasn't paid more for a good this year than they did last year, or the year before, or the year before that. So they need to do away with income tax and have a higher sales tax like Tennessee. Now, the federal income taxes and the state income taxes, first of all, I'd never live in a state that has a state income tax. It's crazy. California, um, New York, all of them, they have crazy state income taxes. Florida has no state income tax, which is I'm from Florida and I live in Tennessee. We don't have one here either. And actually, let me talk about that for a second. Now, one thing you always hear is how Trump's tax cuts were just a tax cut for the rich. Did you actually know that it didn't benefit the rich? The only wealthy people that would have benefited under ta Trump's tax cuts would have been um, wealthy people in states that didn't have a state income tax, which are a minority. The majority of them do. The highest states or the highest state income taxes or SALT tax, state and local taxes, SALT tax, we'll say, the top 10 states for the highest salt taxes are all Democrat states. That's California, New York, Washington, D.C. is in there, even though it's not a state. Uh, all of them are blue states, though. Trump lowered the maximum amount that you're allowed to itemize on your state and local taxes and deduct from your federal taxes to $10,000. Before, you could, you could itemize far more. Now... I can't remember the, off the top of my head what the exact number was, but anyone making under $500,000 generally uh, were not itemizing deductions on their taxes. They were just taking the standard deduction, which means that, you know, if you're married, it was around $25,000. You deduct that $25,000 from your income. Whatever's left is what you're paying in federal income taxes. You, you can deduct... Your, what you pay in a state income tax from your federal taxes, but under Trump's plan, you can only deduct the $10,000, which means that you were better off to just take the standard deduction than you were to just itemize the $10,000 max. So the people that were the wealthy people, especially in these blue states, were able to deduct far less in their uh, state and local taxes, and most of them were just taking itemized deductions up until about that $500,000 a year income level. Now, above that $500,000 a year income level, they had to find those, you know, more people were itemizing, but again, they were only allowed to itemize $10,000, which means they're actually paying far more in these states in taxes than they were under um, Obama's tax, tax plan. Far more. In the Build Back Better plan, they are going, the Democrats proposed increasing the 
$10,000 SALT tax deduction to $80,000. Now, the only people that benefit from that increase, which, by the way, it's like, what is that, an 800% increase? Um, the only people that benefit from an $80,000 deduction in state and local taxes are extremely high-earning and wealthy people. Because the regular middle-class and lower-class individual in California or, ten, or New York or something like that are not paying anywhere near the $10,000, let alone $80,000. The Build Back Better plan actually will be a substantial tax break for the wealthy in these blue states. So much so that I read an article that um, said the driving factor for increasing the salt tax in those states was because some Democrats, like in California, were worried that so many of these high earners and these business owners were moving away from California to go to Texas, Tennessee, Florida, that it was going to substantially impact the state's revenue. So they needed a way to incentivize people to stay in these states. It's funny how that works, right? So don't think for a second that when they talk about increasing taxes on the wealthy and the rich, um, that they mean it. Now, someone asked, he said, what will that do for, uh, I, I believe he said tax-free states. It won't do a damn thing for tax-free states. So it actually would hurt some of those red states. That's where they'll make up, you know, taxing the wealthy more is in the states that don't have a state tax, state and local tax. Now, everyone has property taxes, but the state income taxes, not everyone does. So that's where they would be making, you know, taxing the wealthy more. But in the in the blue states, and I say blue states because that's just what they are at the moment. Um you know, that's where they're going to have substantial tax breaks. Someone asked, will it turn red to blue? No, it won't. Just because a state is a red or a blue state doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change tax legislation. It's just, like I said, it just so happens to be that the states that have the highest state income taxes are all blue states, but there are red states that have a state and local tax. So, you know, as far as the political makeup, you know, maybe that plays a role in how much they're taxing state income tax, but it doesn't necessarily play a role in whether or not they have it. See you, Linga. Thank you. So a lot of people don't understand that, though, going back to that salt tax, that the Build Back Better plan, especially in these Californias and New Yorks and stuff, it was going to actually be a major tax cut for the rich. And it's funny to me that anyone would believe a politician wants to raise taxes on the wealthy or on businesses when the, you know, these same politicians need the wealthy and they need those businesses to stay in office. Who are the biggest donors? Go look at Joe Biden's campaign finance. Go look at uh, the Pelosi's campaign finance. Go look at Mitch McConnell's campaign finance. Go look at anyone's. A lot of them that are bringing in a lot of money, bring it in from these corporations and extremely wealthy people and these PACs and all that. They need that big money. 
Why do you think these businesses lobby to them? Do you really think that, and I said this the other day, a rich people, a rich person, not rich, but wealthy person, saying, yeah, I need to be taxed more, is the biggest joke to me. If you need to be taxed more and you think you need to be taxed more, then why don't you just stop taking your fucking deductions and just pay the full amount that you would pay on that income or take less of a deduction? You don't need to raise income tax rates to make them pay more money. If you eliminate the deductions, they would pay a lot more money. So, and I will say know, this, Michael. Yeah. You know, when, when people like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are, are, are saying that, they, that, that, that their taxes need to be raised so they're not paying less taxes than their secretaries or, or some Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know, work on their payroll, I guess the, the moral of this story you could say is they're, they're full of shit. They are. They're, they're saying all that to sound good because, look, if I wanted to pay more taxes, I wouldn't deduct my standard deduction. I wouldn't deduct the, you know, okay, I'm a 1099. If I, if I thought I needed to pay more taxes, then I would just not write off my business expenses. Right? I would just pay it on the income, on my total revenue. Is that smart business-wise? Absolutely not. But that, but if you really think, why does it take you increasing the tax? Why does it take the government fucking telling you that we're going to tax you more and forcing you to pay more? You know, if you actually believe you need to pay more when you can control paying more. Just don't deduct. Don't fuck everybody else and make everyone else pay more because you think you need to pay more. But you need the government to force it on you. Just go pay more. The other thing is, no one will voluntarily pay more in taxes. If they would, then why don't they just go stroke a check to the IRS? Hey, here's a donation. Spend it how you feel fit. They don't. In fact, uh, the majority, if not all, of these wealthy people talking about how they need to um, pay more in taxes are donating substantial portions of their income to nonprofits. A lot of the nonprofits are their own nonprofit organization, like the Pelosi Foundation or Clinton Foundation or something like that. And they're deducting it on their income. And then they're doing illegal shit with the nonprofit. So don't, you know, don't, don't listen to these, you know, morally correct wealthy people because they're not. And I, I look, I don't want to pay taxes. I, I completely understand businesses that don't want to pay taxes, but don't get up there and act like you you need to be taxed more. It's a bit it's the biggest joke. It's the biggest scam. They're just trying to get customers happy with them. They're trying to get other things happy with them. And and a lot of people don't understand this. You know, if if uh Warren Buffett or Bill Gates makes the comment like I, I should be paying higher taxes than my secretary, well, that's your fault. That's literally a direct um, physical change that you could make right now. Go sit down with your accountants and make sure you're paying more. You're, you're, you're the one that's... Go sell some of your shares in the market. Realize those gains and pay the capital gains on them. It's easy. It doesn't take a lot. It's very simple. Literally, click, click of a button going and selling your shares. So I don't want to hear that shit. 
But as far as, you know, our vice president saying, we're not going to pay a dime more in taxes, you're a damn liar. We're already paying more. Everyone is. And, you know, he said Trump didn't get paid as president. No, he didn't take a salary as president. There's only been two presidents in history. I believe him and it was McKinley was the other one that didn't pay any income tax. or He didn't uh, take an income as president. You didn't see anyone else do that though, right? So Biden also tweeted today and he said, a firefighter and a teacher shouldn't pay a higher tax rate than a billionaire pays. That's not right. He said, my budget contains a billionaire minimum income tax to make sure billionaires pay their fair share. Paying a fair share would be paying the same percentage everyone, regardless of your income. If you're making, see, look, a billionaire doesn't necessarily mean that their income is a billion dollars a year. It just means their wealth is a billion dollars. There's big reasons why you don't tax uh, wealth. Because it's not new money. A lot of that money's already been taxed. Or it's held in an investment that is fluctuating daily or monthly or annually. And you can't just tax that because the gains on it aren't real. They hold that asset. You know... Uh, a tax on an unrealized gain is stupid because you're literally, look, the term unrealized is literally what it means. It's unreal. It's only real once you sell it and you have that cash on hand. The IRS doesn't take unreal money in the, you know, when they tax unrealized gains, they take real cash when they tax unrealized gains, which means that you have to have the cash on hand to pay those taxes that's being levied on you on an asset that your cash for that asset is locked up in the asset. You don't have that cash available. So the only way to go and probably pay substantial amounts of taxes on your unrealized gains would be to liquidate the assets that those gains are in, which means that you're going to see a mass sell-off in the markets. Um... He said, so your stocks you hold already loses money. I don't know what you mean there, Ralph, if you could clarify. Raccoon says, Musk is paying more income tax than anybody in history, and that's true too. He's paying billions of dollars. Um, the unrealized gains tax is beyond me why they would ever propose that. So he said, your unrealized gains, so your stocks you hold already lose money. I'm still not curious. Uh, understanding fully what you're saying if regarding the tax it kind of do isn't that stocks yeah so it what's well, stocks yeah okay your unrealized gains can be if you own a stock and you have gains on it it could be if you own a house and the house appreciates in value uh it could be any asset that you buy that is increasing in value or decreasing because you have unrealized losses as well and realized losses it goes both ways. But anything that is an asset that fluctuates in value there, uh, that's, that is where you start having unrealized gains or losses on. So, you know, to say a firefighter and a teacher shouldn't pay a higher tax rate than a billionaire pays, a billionaire is more than likely 
earning a lot more annually than a firefighter or a teacher, but that doesn't mean they're not paying a higher tax rate or a higher amount. If everyone paid a 10% tax on their income, that's called paying your fair share. Everyone's paying the same proportionate amount of their income in taxes. A flat tax rate would be the fairest tax system there is. But people don't look at it like that. People look at it like, well, this person's making more money than me. He's paying the same tax percentage. Therefore, he has more left over than I am. And I call that hating. You're hating on someone if, if, if that's what it is. I've, all, you know, I've always thought that income is a measure of value for the most part. Which means that the people who are making more money are usually bringing more value. That's why um, the NBA makes more money than the WNBA. Because those players bring in a lot more revenue and a lot more value to the NBA than the WNBA brings. So, you know, don't get mad at someone because their job pays more. Or their business that they created and worked their ass off to run and operate makes more money than you. You know, in the United States, you can go start a business. You can go pursue something that is going to give you the opportunity to be wealthy and make money. No one is stopping you. You may have certain factors in your life that that make it difficult. But that's all part of the game. You know, they're, um, you know, the, you can't just hate on someone for being in a better position than you, though, and think that it's only fair if they pay more because you have to pay so much and they're making more money than you, than you and they need to pay a higher tax percentage. By the way, did you know that the top 1%, I think, paid like 25% of the income taxes? For at the federal level, the wealthy pay more in federal income taxes than the middle and lower class. The majority of people don't even pay federal income taxes. It's the biggest misconception there is. Now, when you start talking about all oh, these businesses need to pay their fair share and stuff, you're getting into a more complicated uh, issue there. Are there some businesses that don't pay taxes? Absolutely. There are others that pay a substantial amount of taxes. So there's a lot that does go on. There's some shady things that go on. I'm not going to deny that. But when you're just talking about the wealthy and you start bringing in individuals like a firefighter and a teacher talking about how much they pay as opposed to a, another individual, it's not even in the same boat. Yeah, so w when I was saying the shady stuff and not paying, I'm talking about the businesses, Ralph, not the individuals. The individuals, like a doctor, let's say, Maybe they have their own practice, but a doctor's probably, let's say he's bringing in, I don't know, 800000 to a $1 million a year in income. He's paying more than their uh, fair share compared to the lower middle class in federal income taxes. Far more than a fair share. We have a progressive tax rate, which means that the more money you make, the higher percentage of your income you got to pay. So the wealthy and high earners pay a much larger portion of their income than the lower middle class do.
he said, and a doctor is going to have to pay so much student loan debt. Yeah. And uh, he really can't acquire a lot of wealth until he pays that off. That's at, Now, that's not true because I've seen a lot of doctors that have substantial amounts of student loans and they're making the payments, but they're still making a lot of money. You know, they're, they're still bringing in a lot of wealth. There's doctors that live in Port Royal and Naples, Florida, which, by the way, Port Royal is like a 10 to $15 million neighborhood. Plus, some uh, the most expensive home listing was used to be in Naples. It was like $60 million right on the beach on Gordon Drive. So there are doctors that live in that neighborhood that still have student loans. Now, you want to talk about the student loan thing? If you canceled student loans... You know, and they say, uh, okay, let's cancel student loans. That would free up income for people. It would free up, you know, because they're not making those student loan payments. That actually only benefits the wealthier uh, earners. Because the mass majority of people that are making payments on their student loans are people who are making enough money to make payments on the student loans. Because a lot of the student loans are paid back by uh, income-driven plans. And, uh, you know, if you're making not a lot of income, you may not even, even be making a student loan payment. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of business owners that don't show a lot of income and they don't make student loan payments. So usually the people that are showing a lot more income are the ones that are paying more in student loans. So it's actually disproportionately benefiting the wealthier portion of people who have student loans more than it is the low-income people that have these student loans because the majority of the low-income people aren't even paying those student loans. The other thing when it comes to canceling the student loans, is it, that's a joke to me, is it's like, let's cancel this debt to give people the ability to go take out another debt, be it buy a car, you know, because they say, oh, it'll boost the economy because spending in the economy will will uh, increase because people have more money coming in because they don't have to pay those student loans. So you want them to go, um, you know, cancel one debt to take out another. And that's a big, the biggest joke to me. Now, if someone says, let's cancel the deficit. All the deficit is, Ralph, is the difference between uh, tax revenue for the government and spending, uh, annual spending for the government. That's all that is. So when you see the deficit is $3 billion, that means we spent $3 billion more than we brought in uh, in tax revenue to pay for those expenditures. So when you say, you know, a president is running or they say president, but let's just say the government in 2021 is um, that's debt. I'll go into that in a second. The deficit and debt are different. The deficit is looking at annual spending and the difference. Debt is the overall amount of money that the government owes for past spending, right? If you run a deficit, that's ultimately going to increase the debt because you spent more than what you brought in. Uh, not always because there's some factors that, that play into that, but just trying to keep this simple, right? Um, but when you, see, when you hear, okay, we ran a high deficit in 2021, that means we spent much more than we brought in to pay for those expenditures. Ideally, you would only spend equal to the amount that you bring in. 
So if the government brings in $3 trillion in taxes, then maybe they should only spend $3 trillion, right? Problem is that doesn't work like that. They'll spend $6 trillion and bring in $3 trillion. Um, the debt, though, that $30 trillion you were talking about, that's all the previous government obligations in, in, you know, that they owe. A lot of the debt, by the way, is owned by the American people. China, I think, owns like 11% of the debt. Japan, I think, actually owns more than China, around 11 or 12%. And some countries, owe, you know, owe, or buy, they own some of our debt. But for the most part, 60 to 70% of that debt is owned by the American people and by ourselves. So that's a big misconception because if you go and you buy treasury securities, that's government debt. Uh you know, so a, a treasury bill, a treasury note, treasury bond, that's all government debt. So a lot of investments, um, you know, if you have a savings account or a money market account, those accounts are, are taking that money and investing it in those securities. That's how they're getting those uh, fixed, inter- you know, very fixed interest rates or ones that don't fluctuate as much. You know, if the bank's offering you a 2% interest rate on your savings account, that's because they're going to be able to take that money and earn more than that 2% in a very safe investment that doesn't fluctuate too much. So that's uh, where a lot of that can come from. And for the most part, when it comes to our government debt, the reason why it keeps rising is, I believe, is because we're really only paying interest on the majority of it. We're not paying back the principal. And our government also takes into consideration what our GDP growth is. And, and again, this is getting complicated uh, for a lot of people, but, you know, they factor in, okay, we can raise the debt ceiling. We can actually, you know, let me go back. The Build Back Better deal. A lot of the reason why they may pitch it as it being paid for and saying it's not going to increase debt, it's not going to increase the deficit, which is a lie, by the way, but... A lot of the reason why they say it's paid for is because they're they're saying that the revenues brought into the bill will offset the actual spending in the bill, but also it will uh, provide economic growth over over a period of time that will, you know, basically outgrow the amount of debt that the bill may bring on to the American economy. I'm trying to think of a smoother way to explain that, but. They factor in the growth of our economy as a whole, not just the revenues that are brought in from the bill as a way to pay for the the spending in the Build Back Better deal or the infrastructure deal. Now, the Build Back Better one's funny because that it, it's not paid for. In fact, it's going to be very costly. Um, Ralph Williams says, evil, but you know they swore the way they expect everyday Americans to keep up with their pay. If we as a country don't do it. Evil, but you know they swore the way they expect every Amer- everyday Americans to keep up with their pay if we as a country don't do it. I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> that's all right. But, you know, what... I, I bring this up because, again, it's a chain reaction, right? Everything kind of plays in uh to the economy as a whole and to prices as a whole especially gas prices 
gas prices increase so many other things because that expenditure, it's such a high expenditure for a lot of businesses. And, you know, how do we get most of our uh, food to stores? Through semi-truck. Think, what was it? Any product that we buy was on a truck at some point. That's why having a trucker protest that, you know, let's say 90% of the truckers went to D.C. and protested, the economy immediately, immediately would shut down. It would crush the American economy if that happened. Why do you think Canada was freaking out about it? But, um, so he says, it's funny how they expect everyday Americans to pay our credit cards, but we as a country do the same thing and don't pay it. You're right. I always think it's funny when they say we're going to raise the debt ceiling. Raising the debt ceiling is basically like we're going to take out more debt to pay off our previous debts. That's the better. That's the best way to think about it. Let's take out one loan to pay for another, and it's a never-ending cycle. Um, or as Rand Paul would say, Michael, um, we, we just got to continue to borrow more money from China and other countries who hate our guts. Yeah, well... You know, there's still more to that story, though, when it comes to comes to that, because we're buying Chinese debt, too. Don't let anyone fool you. People act like we don't buy their debt. We do. Go look, and I guarantee you that you can find out how much of the Chinese debt is owned by the United States or other countries. We it's it, Everyone does it, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. It says, getting coal to power plants by train truck. Exactly. Good point, Raccoon, right? And that's so you're increasing the power of energy there. Uh, he says, as we pay off, as we paying the debt off with all these masks, or the debt off with all these masks that we buy from China. Yep. You know, when it comes to uh, this is getting into a whole different conversation, but since we're on the topic of economics. Why would the United States not manufacture certain products, right? So there's, got it. I'm gonna, I, you know what? Before I even go really deep into this, I'm gonna have to go do some reading up to to refresh on this. But basically, you have some countries have competitive advantages, just like we have a competitive advantage in certain things, and we base it off of that a lot of times, right? Uh, we'll specialize in certain industries and another country may specialize in certain industries that they have a competitive advantage in, you know, and that kind of plays into it. So I'm going to have to do a whole episode on that, explaining that and go back and refresh um, because that's getting into a whole different topic. But um, exactly, Raccoon, and I've said that before. When it comes to the global economy, not all country plays by the same rules. It'd be one thing if we had global trade, but every country had to abide by the same labor laws and every country had to abide by the same wage requirements, you know, all of that stuff, right? But it's not. It's not the same playing field, which means that countries like China, who can go and exploit slave labor, can lower the cost of production substantially. That also means that companies may have a huge incentive to go to these countries that allow this, where they lower their cost of production. That's also why you have outsourcing. 
And then that means that here in the United States, where we do take care of our workers for the most part, and we do have these restrictions and, and regulations on our businesses, it does take some of the competitiveness away. And I'm just being realistic about this. Um, that I'm not saying I, you know, in promoting, excuse me, slave labor, not at all. I'm just telling you how it is around the world. So, um, you know, those are just things to think about. They're not playing fair. These countries aren't. And that is why probably that the United States is losing a lot of this control over the world economy. But, you know, don't let anyone fool you. We are still by far the largest economy in the world, and we have the most power economically in the world. People can say what they want about China, but if we sanctioned China's ass, it would fucking shut them down in a heartbeat, and we would still be able to survive. Now, I don't know about Europe, you know, but we could survive without China. China's not going to be able to survive it without us. I can tell you that right now. No matter what people think, that's the truth of the matter. All right. China has been a shithole country for the last 200 years, except for recently. And it still is a shithole country and a communist country, but they've grown. But they weren't just this powerhouse economy until recently. The United States has been the largest economy since the late 1800s. You know, we've, we've been at the top. And we can remain at the top, and we don't need anybody else. We just choose to freaking rely on everyone else. Um, so, you know, people need to understand that. Now, moving on to the next topic I had today was uh, an update on the Ukraine war here. And I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, but Ukraine took helicopters into Russia and blew up an oil depot. And I think that this that could be a problem for Ukraine because now Russia's looking at it like, whoa, now we have an attack on our own soil. You kind of changed the game. And I, the other thing I thought about too is the Ukrainian helicopters were able to get past um, the air defenses of Russia or not the air I say air defense but like radars and stuff undetected and you know Russia has to be thinking well if Ukraine can get some helicopters into Russia without being detected to blow up an oil depot what could the United States get in here what could they sneak in without us having no idea that has to be a major concern of Russia right now because I, as far as I know, these weren't like some stealth helicopters or anything that Ukraine had. Um, which can bring you back to the theory of, was it really Ukraine? Or was this an attack that Russia kind of did to themselves? To maybe have an excuse on why there's less oil leaving the country into Europe. And also to, you know, kind of keep this invasion going and keep a fire under this conflict. Or if Ukraine really did send helicopters into Russia and blow up this oil depot, you know, then what would the United States be able to do? I mean, how could we not get in there with stealth fighters and bombers and stuff and or anything and 
pose a threat to Russia. You know they have to be worrying about that. So, you know, as far as what I've seen today, uh, some news out of Kiev that Russian forces have been driven out of the Kiev area and that the Ukrainian flag was still flying over Kiev. Apparently, I guess, Russia is supposed to be focusing operations more on the eastern, the Donetsk, Luhansk regions of the country. I think that this isn't, this is long from over. And I don't know if they'll pressure Kiev as much, but they're going to keep, keep going in these other large cities. Um, but, I, you know, the overall goal of Russia as this, con- as this invasion draws on becomes more and more unclear because they're experiencing what's being reported by them, pretty substantial cost in human life and vehicles and to their military as a whole. And they don't seem to have a clear objective. Um, to my knowledge and from what I've seen, it, it just does not seem like it's a, it's a very clear objective. BP, I, I think that's you over here on Facebook too. So it, I'm uh, going to open the lines up for anyone who wants to call in and ask any questions. You're more than welcome to. I think I covered a lot as far as the economics part is concerned. And I wanted to kind of give that update and see if anyone had seen the recent attacks there in Ukraine. But feel free to call in. I'm trying to think. There was something else I was going to bring up, and I don't remember what it was. By the way, on Tuesday, uh, Saul Blue Sister is going to be hosting my show. And she's picked a good topic on voting. And I'll have it probably up later today uh, as far as what the topic is in the description that she sent me. But don't forget to ch- uh, tune in for that because I think it'll be a very good conversation. And uh, Eric, were you going to say something? Uh, um, I guess we're still waiting. I guess if Raccoon or Marcos or any other friends want to participate. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, and I know you probably have about another 30 or 35 more minutes left before Podbean kicks you out or gives you that two-minute warning. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, close out the Facebook feed though. I appreciate everyone that was watching on Facebook. Hold on, Eric, uh, for watching again. Don't forget, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's just real conservative talk. Uh, I've been posting these videos on there every time I do them, you know, and I am now wanting to grow the YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, you know, go subscribe. This is real conservative talk. And then on Facebook, I don't know if I'll do a show tomorrow. But we will be back on Monday. We'll be on WESN, by the way. We have Ralph Williams in here. Go check out WESN, too. He has a lineup of a bunch of different shows. Um, I'll probably be on WESN more. I just, before I got on here, saw Ralph's uh, message to me as far as a new schedule. I believe it's going to be four days out of the week instead of just two. But, yeah, that's a you know good platform as well. You can download the app on your phone. Also, Everyone listening on Podbean that has a podcast, if you're not paying for the Podbean subscription and you want to try it out, uh, go on. You can use my code. It's R-C-T-K-E-E. So just R-C-T-K-E-E. Um, and you can use that code. You can actually get the first month free for that. And then if you want to cancel it after that free month, that's up to you. I don't care. But you can use that code. You can get a month free. That gives you the unlimited podcast and any other benefit that 
comes from uh, a subscription you pay for hosting your podcast. This goes for anyone else that wants to host a podcast as well. Is it on Podbean. sensitive uh, promo code? No, it's uh, just RCT key, and it should be in the little greeting message too. But uh, he said, "Damn, I thought I'll, I'd get a month free." I'll, I'll well, you would, uh, Solid Blue. You would if you went and uh, did the subscription. You get a month free, and then. You know, if you want to cancel it, you got to cancel it. Otherwise, they're going to start drafting money. But you could get the month free, yeah. Again, don't tell them I told you that, even though they're going to listen to this. So just something to know. And I appreciate you guys uh, look uh, listening on Facebook. Thank you. All right. We are off Facebook Live. You accept a uh, Brazilian currency? I don't accept nothing, but Podbean probably does. That's a... Uh, up to then, so you can go try it out. I mean, that's just you know you have to take that up with Podbean, but I don't see why they wouldn't accept it. Oh, she says I have a subscription. Yeah, I don't think you can go back and uh, and put that code in. If you could, I'd be having everyone go back in and do it. But you know, it is something that if you are doing a podcast, I don't know how many actually do the subscription. I do. Um, but. You know, you can try it out and see if it's worth it. Use that code and, you know, see if uh, it's worth your time to have it. I, I I weighed the benefits of it, and I thought it was because I wanted to do more than, what is it, three shows you get when it's free, Eric, or something like that? Um, You would probably um, get three hours a week, but but under a free account, you are, are limited to six hours of storage data, I believe, and... Um, but the only way you can can continue there to stay go. on a free account is you're having to constantly go in under the web browser, you know, mm-hmm. and having to delete your recorded shows and and any published shows that you might have. Mm-hmm. But you know, and I know that you know you had some some podcast friends that were on free accounts before January first of last year, 2021. Um, you know, and. But uh, and I know that like Frankie D, for example, he just started paying for hosting, and plus he publishes his YouTube shows. And then Jimmy, who used to do the Den of the Unknown, who now does the Pirate Radio podcast, he's still on a free account. And, and I know, unfortunately, he's not saving his work more mm-hmm. than likely, unless he's saving it elsewhere. But I know, like y- you probably either pay like the, the like a like all all twelve months at once, which is the yearly subscription, or you probably pay the fourteen dollars a month unless you unless you've got like a, a like an like a not not the basic package, but more like a premium package, especially if you're distributing out to say like like Google Play and Apple's iTunes, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio and Spotify and Pandora and other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember which one I have, but I do pay for one uh that gives you know I can stream every day or do the live shows every day and you get the two hour limits and stuff. So um he said you deserve it in a dollar but please limit. do not invade Scooter's podcast again. You are not an April's fur- fool's guy. I don't know what he means by that. When did I and when did I go in and uh do that with Scooter's podcast? Is he talking about me? I don't know. Yeah. Um but he said but, yeah I don't the only way you Good. I, I think like like if you get like a silver award at the end of the month, then for, for a full month, you will get like like a limit of like three hours per live show. But if you get the gold, you, you could broadcast for up to five hours. But 
but it would depend on the engagement score and the number of listeners you have come in your show in a given month and, and what they mm-hmm. contribute to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some other benefits with using that promo code. I can't remember what it was. Um, there was something on the advertising end, but I'm not hundred percent sure I had to find out, but you know, like you said, if, if you're hosting a show and you're trying to grow it and you're trying to do it every day, but you haven't decided yet, right? Use that. You can try it out for a month, see how it goes, see if it's something that is worth doing for you. And then if you continue it, great. If not, then cancel it. Uh, but I think it was uh Sal blue sister said, you know, you get 45 minutes per show and then you get three shows and I do two hours and I can do it every day or as much as I want and do as many, you know, I do 10 shows a day if I wanted to, it doesn't matter. So I think that that gives you a little bit of flexibility. Plus, I can have it distributed to any um, any site, like you were talking about, Eric. But uh-huh. you know, other than that, uh, I don't think there's really a whole lot, whole lot else going on. You know, and oh, ah, I knew what I wanted to bring up. By the way, the House of Representatives passed the federal legalization of marijuana. So it's going to the Senate. Uh So, you know, it's about halfway there. Wouldn't it be something? You'll probably mention it on your next show. Yeah, I completely, I keep wanting to, uh, um, you probably put a note on, like, on, like on a sticky note by your computer saying, don't, don't forget to mention this on the show. Yeah. You know, I saw, this is probably the more liberal side of me with the whole marijuana thing. Do I think marijuana decreases your motivation levels? 100% I do. I absolutely do. But do I see it as something that shouldn't be legal? Absolutely not. Because I think that it's not, you know, alcohol and cigarettes are far worse than marijuana, in my opinion. Uh You know, don't drive when you're on it, just like you wouldn't drive on any other drug or um, alcohol, right? Like, I mean, you shouldn't. At least people do, but you shouldn't. So that's a given. But when we have a society that is wanting to have all this excessive spending, we already spend more than we bring in, you know, why not use that as, a, as another source of tax revenue? She said what Michael Key said, liberal. I said no, more liberal side of me. Uh, you know, the marijuana thing I've weighed for a while and, you know, I just, I don't see it. I don't see why it shouldn't. I think that you could make the argument a lot more on why you should legalize it than why you shouldn't legalize it. Now, I'm not saying we need to just go and some people are like, Hey, let's go legalize all drugs. No, 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 not even close. So Marco says, I'm not seeing it, uh, approved in the Senate. They only need a 50, 50. Vote and then Kamala Harris can be a tiebreaker on it. The Senate, by the or the House of Representatives, by the way, there were a couple Democrats that voted against it, and there were a couple Republicans that voted for it. So it was somewhat bipartisan, which means you could see the same thing maybe happen in the Senate as well. I'm not sure. I haven't seen what the projections for the Senate are. Maybe you have, Marcos, because I know you keep up with that. But as long as it's a 50-50 vote. You have Kamala Harris that could be the tiebreaker. Now, wouldn't it be a bitch if Kamala Harris struck it down? 
And then what if it did pass the Senate? Oh, whoops. Uh, what if um, it did pass the Senate and Biden vetoed it? Could you imagine that shit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, the way I could probably see it going in the Senate, you could probably have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema give the no votes, but then you could probably have your Republican senators like your Mitt Romney and your Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski vote, vote yes. But, but I don't think but Mitt Romney's voting yes. I don't think Mitt Romney's voting yes on it because he's from Utah yeah. and you have a high Mormon population there, a highly religious population. I don't know if he he would uh, vote yes for that. You know, it's going to have to be, but he, they're going to need some Republicans. Well, I don't. Well, you do make go a, ahead. you do make a point about that being like political suicide for him in a in a state that is predominantly Mormon because mm-hmm. it wouldn't necessarily benefit their state, right? I don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, marijuana sales just skyrocketing in the state of Utah. But in some states like Tennessee, even though Tennessee just moved, it, they just tried to do a bill where it's like uh, eliminating the legalization of, because w- you can have mm-hmm. Delta 8 and Delta 9 uh, products here legally, right? Uh, they were oh, trying to get rid of that. So you could probably bet that um, uh, what's her name? Black uh, um Blackburn, you know, yeah, Blackburn, that she won't vote, you know, for it. Um, I don't yeah. know. I don't think Florida will either by that by that uh, well, means. And um, then, you know, and there's there's one like former congressman and former House Speaker I could think of, even though he was Republican, even if he was a Democrat, I could really see him like voting against it because he's in the he's beholden to the tobacco industry, John Boehner. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard stories about him. Oh, he, he, he smokes the combustible cigs like a freight train. That, and that, that if you got close to him, you could, you could tell he, he reeks of that smell. Yeah. And the problem with the, the, the medical legalization of it, as far as my knowledge is concerned, marijuana is already legal in the state of Tennessee for medical purposes. So it's already legal in a lot of places medically, but they don't use it medically. Right. So that doesn't really change a whole lot. The other thing is, too, is even if they legalize it federally, it doesn't mean that the states aren't going to make it illegal still. So, you know, federal law is basically like a. It's like a. um, What's the word I'm thinking of, you know, like an outline. It's like something that they can go off of, but that's not the end all be all because it all goes down to what the state's laws are as well. Uh, you know, and every state's different. So, uh, Margaret says, I saw a three research that the majority of voters are against it. Wow. So the majority of voters in the United States are against the legalization of marijuana. Even now, when was that research? Cause I'm curious when that was, cause I know there's been a lot of change when it came, when they saw how much tax revenue is bringing in in like Colorado and these other states. You know, I think that a lot of people's ideas have shifted on, well, we could tax this, you know. Now, I will say this. What I see them doing is legalizing it and putting crazy taxes on it. Like, you know, they tax tobacco and alcohol and stuff. They tax that more. They shouldn't do that. They should just tax it normal, normal sales tax, okay, because you need to make it competitive with the street cost of it. You need to... Make it to where I'm not going to my local drug dealer still because I can get it $10 cheaper for a gram. 
than I can at the local dispensary because um, it's being taxed out the ass. You know, you have to make it competitive with what you would get on the street. And so you need to just, if you're going to tax it, just tax it the same as you would anything else. And that's how you can, um, you know, get your revenue you want. You, um, you kind of eliminate, you're not going to eliminate all the legal drug trade, by the way. It's still going to be there, but at least on the marijuana part of it, and you just decriminalize it. But, you know, we have tobacco. People grow tobacco. People chew tobacco. They smoke it and all that stuff, and it's far worse for you than smoking marijuana. Now, smoking marijuana still has the bad effects on your lungs and all that. I'm not denying that, but as far as, like, tobacco has, it's it's a toxic thing, right? Chewing tobacco is toxic. You can chew marijuana all you want. You're not going to get cancer as far as I'm concerned. Well, right? then, Maybe, um, then, the, then vape has its pros and cons. What is it? The, like, the, like vaping has its pros and cons. Yeah, now that's something different because uh, you're talking about dangerous stuff. But, but when, I'm, when I'm talking about legalizing marijuana, I'm not just talking about smoking the marijuana. I'm talking about in any form, right? We're talking about uh, – look, vaping's bad for you. No matter what you're vaping, uh, smoking's bad for you. No matter what you're smoking, you could just have a fire and be breathing in the smoke, and it kills you. So smoking's just bad, well, and you know, smoke is bad in general. But but consuming something is different. If you're consuming tobacco, well, you're, you know, or chewing tobacco, you can get cancer from that. But I don't know of anyone that's getting cancer from eating edibles. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. Um. I think, like, like if you think about, like, you know, smoking combustible tobacco, whether it's the cigars or, or cigs, which is a which which is short for cigarettes, you know, yes, nicotine is a harmful substance, but you got to remember, like, the manufacturing process that makes those combustible tobacco, like, like the like the paper that that holds the tobacco in place, and and then like the pesticides that is sprayed on the crops, and and then other manufacturing processes because. Back in the old days, you know, tobacco was supposed to have a very pleasant smell. But but if you drive through North Carolina or Virginia past R.J. Reynolds or Philip Morris's tobacco plants, the, the smell is so nauseating, it, it would just literally make you sick to your stomach. And, and my dad, when he drove, you know, a, a tractor-trailer truck for a company back in the mid-90s, drove through there. And, um, and that influenced his decision to quit smoking back in 1996. Mm-hmm. Now, Marcos brings up a good little point here. And he says, yeah, so you're going to take agricultural lands to produce this garbage, right? Um, actually, what I think you'll see, you'll see some farmers that, that start allocating uh, you know, some of their land to producing marijuana, yes. But it, producing marijuana, there's a lot of people, what I've noticed, like my cousin, by the way, could not farm anything, but he's damn good at farming the marijuana. So like, there's people that specialize in that stuff that are good. Now, what I think you'll see is you'll see people going out and they'll be buying land to go and grow marijuana. So you'll actually see from a conservation standpoint, uh, maybe land that would be used to be developed and buy, you know, build homes or buildings would actually be used uh, for agricultural purposes, which would help an ecosystem. Because I've said people, I've told people this before. If you go to an orange grove in Florida, there's deer and hogs and, and animals everywhere in those groves. And they're eating the, the, the uh, crops. 
right? I'm talking about these big groves and stuff and these farms. And they, they eat. They're not being displaced. Like they're living in them. But if you built a neighborhood, now you're actually displacing animals. And you're, you're, you have less of a food source and stuff like that, right? So actually from a conservation standpoint, it may help in some areas uh, slow down some of the development aspect. And, you know, for these environmentalists uh, that are out there, you know, it could help a little bit. I don't think it will make, um, you know... Oh, God, Rocky, that is a good point. He goes, but you have to have food growing to handle the munchies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to call in in the last so, few minutes of the show. Um, he said, when economy is not good, this kind of production should not be the priority. You're right, but uh, supply and demand is what determines that production, Marcos. Right? Here in the United States, our government is, <laughs> contrary to what a lot of people think, our farms are not handled by the government. Okay. They may subsidize some farms and, and have, you know, benefits for certain farming stuff. Absolutely. But they don't control the means of production. The private sector does. Thus the market will actually determine, um, you know, who's growing what. And if someone growing marijuana doesn't see it being feasible, they're not going to grow it. They're going to grow something else. They're going to find what the market is determining is the better thing to grow that year. So, you know, I see, I don't see it really being a problem, honestly. I think that it could be a substantial source of revenue for, you know, the government. And then Margo says, yeah, you're right. But I don't think marijuana has ever been legal in the United States. If it has, it was back a long time ago. I mean, before any of us were alive, long before that. And I just don't see it being a problem. And if it is, then you can, um, you know, you can handle it then. But it, it just, I don't see it being a problem. Because like, like Julian uh, Wild here said, he said, you know, like his dad was a farmer. He understands like a farmer is going to grow whatever is, is best for him to grow, either for his land or for his profit and his revenue. You know, you're not going to go grow corn every year. You're going to rotate. But, you know, if marijuana is bringing in a lot of money, you're going to grow it. And if it's affecting the nutrients in the ground, then you're going to rotate it with a crop that may replenish those nutrients. It's not going to be like it's going to work into the whole agricultural um, science and, and economy no different than it already is. You're just adding something else that's allowed to be grown. So, you know. If it does impact a, you know, anything negatively, then you can assess that then. But we don't know. We don't. And as far as I see it, we're putting people away, and not so much anymore, but they were in the 90s and the early 2000s, putting people away for a crazy amount of time for small marijuana charges. You know, a guy got sold selling or got caught selling a freaking ounce of marijuana, and he got 10 years. Now, if you're selling fentanyl, that's a whole different deal. Okay? I'm not talking about fentanyl. I'm talking about marijuana. Okay? Because, hell, how the majority of our population has tried it or currently does it anyway. So, you know, let's be honest here. It's not really... It's... 
it wasn't fair how we went about it and and criminalized it, you know, and it's, you know, luck, thankfully we're kind of getting away through that. Now, Abcoder also says it won't get through the Senate anyway. Um, Marco said that too. Again, I haven't looked at that. I don't know if it will. I thought it would get through the Senate. I don't know, but apparently, you know, Marcos keeps up and then Abcoder said it won't. Um, all I said was it, it, all it needs is a 50-50 vote and then Harris to be a tiebreaker. You know, Raccoon says or I've never Biden seen a Senate. If it passes. Well, yeah, but the, the he said too many conservatives that need to save their base. But, you know, I'm a conservative. And like I said earlier, maybe this is the more liberal side of me, but I see it. I just don't see the point in it being illegal anymore. Maybe some of the younger conservatives uh, will hold that view. I don't know. I haven't talked to a lot of younger conservatives about it. But, you know, I, I mean, think you'd people be need to interview some of those younger conservatives, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be open to it. You know, and Abcoder, think about this too. Like Tennessee, I can go buy the Delta 8, Delta 9 you know, in the CBD, they've legalized that, right? And what I've seen is that a lot of people that I never ever thought before would would go and um, use that, you know, and use the CBD and stuff, they they are using it. And these are conservatives as well. Um, you know, they, I think people are, are more open to it. So will it pass? I don't know. But I do think that the idea of marijuana in the country has, has definitely changed, like the outlook on it. Uh, you know, he says, I'm talking about the Senate specifically, amusing part is alcohol is legal. Yeah, like, and I brought that up too, alcohol and tobacco. They can't figure out how to tax it, and this is the reason they won't pass it. That's a good point. People are going to use it as uh, use it, might as well make money off it. So, AppCoder, what I said about they can't figure out how to tax it. They just need to tax it like everything else. They need to just put a regular sales tax on it and that's it. Because again, you need to make it competitive with what the street value is. If you want to get rid of people, you know, drug dealers selling it on the street, then you need to make it to where I can go to the dispensary and purchase it for the same price or at least around the same price as what I can get it from my drug dealer. So just tax it normally. Just do, you know, if I live in Tennessee, just, do a 10% sales tax on it. That's it. But they won't do that because they're going to look at how we can control it and all this stuff. Just just stop. They're, they do too much. Just look at it as a, a possible substantial source of revenue. You know, and, um, you know, just leave it at that. And if it doesn't work, then then adjust it or change it. Do it as a maybe you do it as like a um, a temporary pilot program. Like for the next year or two years, we're gonna legalize it, and we're gonna see how it works out. And we're gonna study what the effects on our population is. We're gonna study what the effects on the economy is. Is it really bringing in the revenue we thought it would bring in? And if it doesn't, then you either adjust it after those one or two years. Or you, you get rid of it. You know, hell, we our tax legislation, when we put in new tax legislation, it's not all permanent, right? We 
um, how many of Trump's tax policies are going to expire here coming up soon? A lot. Why don't they make those permanent? I think the reason is because they're saying, okay, how well does this work? Are we earning more money? Are we doing less money? And then in the, when these do expire, another president gets in there, we can, we can change it. So why don't, why can't we just do this with the, um, with the marijuana? And then Apcoder says we can have six plants and up to one ounce for recreational use. Uh, are you in California? I'm assuming. And he said, it's a big agenda, big lobby to be voted in the midterm years. You're right. I think that's what they're using it for. Uh, but the Democrats have been talking about legalizing it for a while. I think that they've chosen to do it right now because we're going into an election and they still hold the majority. So maybe they feel like they could potentially have it passed. And then I also wonder if they hold the vote off in the Senate. And let's say when midterms come around. Now, I don't know how this would work out, guys. But let's say mid, it, it's past the House now, and the Senate uses the filibuster to delay vote, delay vote, delay vote. Midterms come around. What if the Dems win the majority of a Senate instead of just a tie, but they lose the House, but this bill has already passed the House? Could the Senate then pass that and push that bill forward to uh, Biden to either veto or, um, or approve, right? Maybe that's why they're not worried about it. And they knew they had the votes in the house. So they went, went ahead and got it done. I don't know. Now, Carter says, uh, who's to say it doesn't benefit mental health and rid pharmaceutical companies of mind altering chemicals. That's another reason I think it should be, uh, legalized because fentanyl right now is killing. So there's 96,000 people. In the United States, every year, die from drug overdoses. Fentanyl is responsible. Fentanyl and opioids, by the way, not just fentanyl, but opioids, are responsible for seventy percent of that. Now, the majority's majority of the drugs I went and checked on this, by the way, are being trafficked in through Mexico. Even if they come from another country, it's still being trafficked in here through Mexico. Uh, I think it would help if you legalize marijuana. It's the the physical effects are far more beneficial than giving someone opiates for pain medicine. It's also not even close to being as addictive, not even close. You know, why are we okay with a doctor prescribing someone with a broken arm or a broken leg, hydrocodone or oxycontin or whatever, and um, we're not okay with them giving them marijuana? Because, you know, the majority of people that are getting hooked on opiates, it's not because they smoked marijuana and that was a gateway drug to go start doing heroin or something. No, a lot of the people that are dying from the opiates had an injury or an illness or something, and they got fucking hooked on the, the pain medication that the doctors were prescribing them. And then all of a sudden, it's time to cut them off, and they're still addicted to it. I've seen this happen with people I know very closely, I've had so many friends die in the last two years, probably eight or so of my own friends that I played sports with and all that stuff. And a lot of them were athletes that played sports in college that had an injury and they were being prescribed this medication and they get hooked on it. So we want, we want to keep that going, right? 
but we don't want to maybe find something that could replace it that won't have that effect. And like Abcoders, he says, I smoke every day, few days, every few days, sorry. And it's okay with my employer if we test positive for THC. Now that is up to the employer. Now, look, there's certain jobs you don't need to be, <laughs> you don't need to be smoking on. Like, if you're a cop, you damn sure don't need to be smoking. No one in the military needs to be smoking. Uh, you know, if you're working around heavy machinery or anything like that, you don't need to be smoking. You don't need to be driving while high, in my opinion. I, you know, it's it's no different than like driving under the influence. You put the same laws out, right? You're not changing uh, DUI laws. You're not changing anything like that. And if the employer doesn't want you smoking pot, you know, that's kind of up to them. But what employer wants you drunk on the job either, right? None. But we don't make alcohol illegal. Um, so just because someone's smoking it, while they're at their house doesn't mean they're coming to the office stoned. Uh, it would be interesting to see how employers react if it was legalized. I'm really interested to see kind of going into my industry is how uh, insurance companies react to it. Because I've had people that have come from a state where it was legal and they sign up, let's say for a life insurance policy. Um, their health is perfect other than that, but they failed the drug test. And, you know, a lot of insurance companies will give you a tobacco rating for it. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that all plays into it. And I've actually seen life insurance companies deny insurance on business owners that legally operated a, not a, even a marijuana dispensary, but a CBD dispensary because they sold CBD at their place of business. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see how that would change as well. But, you know, I just, I think it, we have so many other things that we worry about that, or that we need to worry about that are bigger than the legalization of marijuana. That's just my opinion on it. Uh, my opinion has changed over the years, but as I've gotten older, you know, I just, I don't see why we couldn't do that. Um. Now, Marco says because we are in the influence of other drugs, I think they're um, – BP says you don't want your chef high and eating all the food. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. I wouldn't want that. I don't want the chef being stoned and he's cooking my food and be like, ooh, I want to try some of that. You know, <laughs> that wouldn't be good. But uh, Sly says I just crushed 99.9% .9 of pod bean. Why is that? I'm curious now. <laughs> but – you know, why why wouldn't it be uh, why wouldn't it be legal? We have so many other things that are that are legal to do that are more harmful, and I just don't see why it couldn't. I think that we have politicians, like conservative politicians too, because this is who would deny it for the most part. And like someone said earlier, you know, they want to keep their base. I think maybe they don't understand their base as much. I, you know, Marco says there's a research. I'll go have to go look at that research on how many people actually oppose it. But I bet you if you looked at, um, he said prescriptions for Adderall, Ritalin, and uh, anxiety drugs, 
so I actually think there's no I you know I think maybe they should uh legalize the Adderall too. Why not? We'd have a freak could you imagine if Adderall was legal how productive our society would be? Oh my god. It would be crazy. But I would like to know what the change in approval is for marijuana over the last several years. I that's the study I'd like to see. Not so much how many people oppose it now, but how many po- people oppose it now as compared to what, how many people opposed it you know, 20 years ago. I bet you it's night and day. Because when I was in the D.A.R.E. program, remember, uh, I don't know who else had to take that, you know, it's like in fifth grade or whatever, they had the D.A.R.E. Uh, they told you marijuana was like one of the worst things you could do, that it kills you and all that stuff. And that wasn't true. You know, Avcoder says, I smoke and toke, I say smoke and toke when you want to. It's a free country, and only the extreme evangelical groups want to trumpet, pun intended. <laughs> Yet they're okay with the billing with billing you for church dues based on your W two. Yeah, great. Uh, that's a good point. You know, they was it ties you got to pay or whatever it is. Um, I don't pay them, but math is the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah, it is. We did a lot of math in the beginning of the show, by the way, talking about inflation. He said, no pharmaceuticals for me. Yeah, you know, how you consume it is a big thing when it comes to health. But I think especially in the edible form, we we give people so much medication that can just destroy your body. And we could easily alternate it with an edible form of THC and get the same result, in my opinion. Uh, Margaret says, the prescription that I said makes this theme hypocritical. Makes the theme hypocritical. Kind of with Adderall and stuff. Why is that, Marcos? Why would that be hypocritical? He said, the worst thing you can do is put your faith in the government. That is true, too. Yeah, we all know that. So I have a, I just got the two-minute warning, um, so I'm going to go ahead and shut it down. I don't think I'm going to do another show. If I do, it may be later, but I got to go take care of some stuff. I appreciate you guys for listening in and maybe back on tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, guys. All right, then. See you later. <laughs>